Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Luke's English Podcast. It's an absolutely beautiful day here in March uh, in London. Uh, Spring has truly started and the sun is out and it's absolutely fantastic. So you're listening to Luke's English Podcast, which is probably the best uh, podcast, not just for learning English, but just generally the best podcast in, in the world, I'd say. I mean, I haven't done any research I haven't actually asked anyone else. I'm just assuming that this is the best podcast that you could listen to. Um, I mean, it's in terms of the ranking on um, Podomatic, it's at number 53, all right? Now, that's not number one. I realise that. But nevertheless, it doesn't really mean anything. It's still, this is still the best uh, podcast you could listen to in the world. Now, you know, if you've got sort of 30 minutes to one hour of time in this crazy world that we call Earth, right? If you've got an hour to spend, why not spend it listening to Luke's English podcast for all your learning English leads, ladies and gentlemen? Well, you've made the right choice by listening to this episode because you're going to do some listening. You're going to practice your listening, which will be really useful for you, like really natural, authentic um, things to listen to, uh, native speakers, um, you'll also then learn some idioms, some really useful idiomatic expressions, and uh, that'll that'll help. That's definitely going to help. Um, so, the, what are you going to listen to in this episode? First of all, I'm going to be talking about a movie uh, called 127 Hours. Right, uh, 127 Hours, big successful movie of the last year or so. It was nominated at the Academy Awards uh, this year. Um, it's the true story of a man called Aaron Ralston who um, went on a trek into the desert and had a terrible accident, uh, which then causes him to kind of reevaluate his life and look at all of the things in his life in a different way. Um, it's a really interesting film, really good film as well. Um, so in this uh, episode, first of all, we're going to listen to an interview, a real interview with Aaron Ralston, who uh, was the guy in, in the movie, um, not the actor, but the real person who it really happened to. You're going to listen to an interview with him. He's going to describe the accident uh, which he experienced. Um, and after that, I'm going to teach you some really useful idioms and phrases, all related to the word hand. Okay? Now, if you've seen the movie, you'll know why. Um, so, actually, at this point, I'd like to give you two warnings, right? Now, f warning number one, I will reveal some of the story. I, I will talk about some details of this story. Now, it doesn't really affect the enjoyment of the movie, right, if you, if you know what's going to happen. It doesn't really spoil the movie. But um, uh, still, you, you might not... If you haven't seen the film yet, 
you might kind of find out some details of what happens in the story by listening to this. So it might be a better idea to watch the movie first, then listen to this. But really, I don't think it matters that much. If you know what happens, it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of the film, right? In fact, knowing what happens can help you deal with it a little better. Uh, because basically, this is about a man who has a terrible accident, right? And it does feature some, the movie features some really explicit and graphic scenes with blood, right? Now, if you're squeamish, you, you might not handle it very well. In fact, lots of people in cinemas have fainted, and lots of people just couldn't take it and had to leave the movie, right? Because it's so kind of horrific. Now, I went to see it with my girlfriend, and she was really scared before we saw the film. She was, in fact, too scared to even enter the cinema, right? But I managed to convince her to come in. I was a bit worried that she wouldn't be able to deal with the, the difficult scenes. But, um, you know, she did well. She, she kind of hid in my arms at the painful moment. Um, a couple ahead of us in the cinema had to leave. Um, and, uh, but she stayed with me and we actually really enjoyed the film and we found it to be, to be quite moving and emotional and ultimately quite positive. So that's the first warning, you might get some plot spoilers by listening to this. Second warning is there will be a few descriptions of quite graphic scenes, so quite horrible sort of accidents. You will listen to some descriptions of those things and that will involve some blood and pain basically right so if you if you're uncomfortable with that then just be careful when you're listening to this because it might make you feel a bit uncomfortable right but i think this is nothing worse than the average episode of like gray's anatomy or csi or something like that it's just that it actually happened okay so now you're going to listen to a real interview with aaron ralston who is um the the subject of the movie and uh, in this interview, he's going to describe exactly how he had this terrible accident. Um, okay, so listen to the interview first. Then afterwards, um, I'm going to read you some true or false um, statements, and you can decide whether they're true or false. So listen first, then try and decide whether the statements are true or false. After that, I will help you to get the answers right. Okay, so here we go. When I think about the the week of April 26th to May 1st, 2003, there was what came before and there's what came after. It was such a watershed for me that it, it literally cleaved not only my arm, but my life into these kind of before and after, uh, this pre and post Blue John, uh, is that I walked into that canyon not only with two hands, but, but just as an adventure out on a day trip for kind of a, a, a vacation of sorts. And uh, midway through this hike that was pretty low-key for the kinds of things that I was doing at that time in my life, I, I got to a drop-off in this slot canyon in the middle of a very remote desert in southern Utah, and I dislodged a boulder. That I pulled it down as I was descending this drop-off. Uh, the boulder fell from my head as I was now underneath it, and as I put my hands up to try to block it from crashing into my skull, that my hands, one got smashed, and then as the boulder ricocheted, my right hand became trapped by this rock as it, it slammed into a new spot between these very narrow walls. So this like bus tire sized boulder now was trapping me in a 50 foot deep slot canyon 
five miles from the nearest dirt road and hours from a phone or pavement or running water or help. Uh, I was by myself. I hadn't told anyone where I was going, didn't leave any kind of an itinerary. And so it was, it was just me stuck and trapped, basically standing in my grave. Uh, and without being able to get free, I was definitely going to die there uh, via, via one or the other kind of mechanisms, either infection or dehydration or starvation, um, perhaps a flash flood, uh, or, or just um, by succumbing to hypothermia during the very cold nights. I, I suffered through all of these various bodily and mental degradations over not just one day and one night, but two days, two nights, three days and three nights, four days, four nights, five days, and the fifth night. I knew that at this point, I mean, I've, I've tried everything there is to, to try, including trying to cut my arm off to get myself free. And being there, uh, that I, I, I etched my name and my birth month and my what I thought was my death month in the wall of the canyon above my shoulder. I, I used this handheld video camera, uh, sat it on the rock in front of me, strapping my hand, and recorded my will and testament. I mean, my goodbyes to my family and my loved ones. And I, I was resigned perhaps or, or at peace with maybe another way to say it the fact that I was going to die here there was no more life in front of me and I I found a lot of uh, regrets in my life too but also I came to, to I think a, an understanding with myself about it to, to let some of those regrets um, uh, just let them be but as it turned out, it was not the end. Uh, I had a vision uh, during that last night, that fifth night that I was there, of a little boy that I saw myself at some point in the future with with a handless right arm playing with this little blonde-haired three-year-old and lifting him up and holding him on, on my hip. And, and the, the eye contact that I had with him told me that this was my future son. Uh, and if I was to have a future son, then that meant I was going to have a future. I was going to get out of this place. Uh, a few hours later, the sun came up yet again on my sixth day in the canyon. Uh, but this time, with this renewed hope that I would get out of there, uh, I actually fell into a rage of sorts. I, I lost control of, of what had previously been a very controlled experience for me. And in this rage, I felt my bones bend. And as they bent, I realized that I might actually be able to break the bones. And if I could break them, I might be able to then use the knife, which was too dull to cut through the bones, um, but to use that just on the soft tissues. I, and the smile came over me. I, I was euphoric as I went about first breaking one bone and then contorting my body to break the second bone and then using the knife to cut through the various tissues, including the nerve, uh, which was a thousand times worse than having that boulder crushing my hand. But even as I got through that most intense pain, I knew that I was going to get out of there. I, I, I'm going to die at some point, but I'm not going to die here. I'm, I, I'm going to get out of this place. And sure enough, after about an hour and five minutes of, of working through the amputation, I, I was free. Uh, it was the most euphoric uh, ecstasy that I'll probably ever feel in my life. And I gathered myself after a, a few deep breaths <laughs> and, and picked up my rope, picked up my climbing gear, picked up um, my water bottle that now was full of urine. And I took a, a last photograph of this 
<laughs> it was a good riddance photograph of the hand that nearly trapped that nearly killed me in the boulder and, and I started hiking down the canyon uh, I, I made it through a few hundred yards of like third and fourth class canyon uh, until I got to a, a rappel that I, I set up and rappelled the 60 foot drop and I got to a pool of water and I drank from that for about 15 minutes and then started hiking um, I walked for almost seven miles then, uh, slowly losing energy as the adrenaline and and just the the effects of all of this sleep deprivation and everything else that had been mounting on me. Uh, and at the end of uh, of this hike, uh, I was just a, a mile away from my truck uh, where I had to leave the canyon bottom. Uh, about 800 vertical feet of climbing and at this moment now uh, a helicopter came out of the sky that had been searching for me and plucked me out of the canyon and uh, off we we fly to the hospital um, that it was such a, a remarkable synchronicity of of me getting myself free and out into the open where then I could be found uh, and that helicopter being there within minutes of when I would have otherwise bled to death uh, that it, it was uh, to me still an astonishing miracle that that yeah I, I did what I did but actually that I survived the effect of it and got to medical attention um, putting my life back together after that again is this before and after of uh, everything that had happened leading me up to that, that place and then where I would go after that uh, it still stands even now with uh, being married and uh, and having a little six-month-old boy, Leo, uh, that the experience back in Blue John is is still uh, the defining moment in my life uh, of what came before and what came after. I've prepared a few true or false uh, statements. Okay, so this can help you to really focus your attention on listening to uh, this interview in, in detail. Now, I'm going to read the true or false statements to you now, um, but they will also be printed on the website, which is http uh, colon forward slash forward slash teacherluke.podomatic.com. You can see the true or false statements there. Um, so I recommend that as you listen to the interview, you look at the true or false statements and decide, are they true or are they false? Okay, but let me read them to you now. Okay, number one. True or false? Number one. The week of April the 26th to May the 1st, 2003, divided his life into two parts. The week of April the 26th to May the 1st, 2003, divided his life into two parts. Number two. The hike he went on was one of the most extreme and dangerous hikes he had ever done. The hike he went on was one of the most extreme and dangerous hikes he had ever done. Number three, as he was hiking in the canyon, he dislodged a boulder and they both fell into the canyon. The boulder landed on his arm and trapped him in the canyon. Now, a boulder is a very, very, very big rock. Okay, so number three, as he was hiking through the canyon, he dislodged a boulder and they both fell into the canyon. The boulder landed on his arm and trapped him in the canyon. Number four, he was five hours from civilization. He was five hours from civilization. Number five, 
He hadn't informed anyone of his plan to trek in that area. He hadn't informed anyone of his plan to trek in that area. Number six, he realised almost immediately that he was going to starve to death. He realised almost immediately that he was going to starve to death. Number seven, by the fifth day, he'd already tried every possible way to escape. By the fifth day, he'd already tried every possible way to escape. Number eight, by day five, he was still not convinced that he was going to die there. Number eight, by day five, he was still not convinced that he was going to die there. Number nine, he wasn't able to deal with regrets that he had about his life. He wasn't able to deal with regrets that he had about his life. Number ten, he had a dream about himself as a boy and he wanted to go back to apologise to himself. He had a dream about himself as a boy and he wanted to go back to apologise to himself. Number eleven, he got really angry because he felt he'd failed himself. He got really angry because he felt he had failed himself. Number twelve, he made a controlled decision to break his bones and cut his arm off. He made a controlled decision to break his bones and cut his arm off. Number thirteen, he was very happy to cut off his arm despite the pain. He was very happy to cut off his arm despite the pain. Number fourteen, he took a really good quality photo of his hand before he left. He took a really good quality photo of his hand before he left. Number fifteen, he fell sixty feet into a pool of water. He fell sixty feet into a pool of water. Number sixteen, he hiked seven miles even though he was losing strength all the time. He hiked seven miles even though he was losing strength all the time. Number seventeen, he climbed 800 feet to his truck and then contacted a helicopter to rescue him. He climbed 800 feet to his truck and then contacted a helicopter to rescue him. Number 18, his experience in Blue John Canyon totally changed his life forever. So those are the true or false statements. You can also find them printed uh, on the website uh, so you can read them while you listen. Um, but uh, just to give you a chance to try and get them right or to check your answers, let's listen to the interview again, okay? Then I will give you the answers and explain them. Okay, here we go. When I think about the, the week of April 26th to May 1st, 2003, there was what came before and there's what came after. It was such a watershed for me that it, it literally cleaved not only my arm but my life into these kind of before and after. Uh, this pre and post Blue John, uh, is that I walked into that canyon not only with two hands, but, but just as an adventure out on a day trip for kind of a, a, a vacation of sorts. And uh, midway through this hike that was pretty low-key for the kinds of things that I was doing at that time in my life, I, I got to a drop-off in this slot canyon in the middle of a very remote desert in southern Utah, 
and I dislodged a boulder. Uh, I pulled it down as I was descending this drop-off. Uh, the boulder fell from my head as I was now underneath it, and as I put my hands up to try to block it from crashing into my skull, that my hands, one got smashed, and then as the boulder ricocheted, my right hand became trapped by this rock as it, it slammed into a new spot between these very narrow walls. So this like bus tire-sized boulder now was trapping me in a 50-foot deep slot canyon five miles from the nearest dirt road and hours from a phone or pavement or running water or help. Uh, I was by myself. I hadn't told anyone where I was going, didn't leave any kind of an itinerary, and so it was, it was just me stuck and trapped basically standing in my grave uh, and without being able to get free I was definitely going to die there uh, via, via one or the other kind of mechanisms either infection or dehydration or starvation um, perhaps a flash flood uh, or, or just um, by succumbing to hypothermia during the very cold nights I, I suffered through all of these various bodily and mental degradations over not just one day and one night, but two days, two nights, three days and three nights, four days, four nights, five days, and the fifth night. I knew that at this point, I mean, I've, I've tried everything there is to, to try, including trying to cut my arm off to get myself free. And being there, uh, that I, I, I etched my name and my birth month and my what I thought was my death month in the wall of the canyon above my shoulder. I, I used this handheld video camera, uh, sat it on the rock in front of me, strapping my hand, and recorded my will and testament. I mean, my goodbyes to my family and my loved ones. And I I was resigned, perhaps, or, or at peace with, maybe another way to say it, the fact that I was going to die here. There was no more life in front of me. And I... I found a lot of uh, regrets in my life too, but also I came to, to I think, a, an understanding with myself about it, to, to let some of those regrets, um, uh, just let them be. But as it turned out, it was not the end. Uh, I had a vision uh, during that last night, that fifth night that I was there, of a little boy that I saw myself at some point in the future with with a handless right arm playing with this little blonde-haired three-year-old and lifting him up and holding him on, on my hip. And, and the, the eye contact that I had with him told me that this was my future son. Uh, and if I was to have a future son, then that meant I was going to have a future. I was going to get out of this place. Uh, a few hours later, the sun came up yet again on my sixth day in the canyon. Uh, but this time, with this renewed hope that I would get out of there, uh, I, I actually fell into a rage of sorts. I, I lost control of, of what had previously been a very controlled experience for me. And in this rage, I felt my bones bend. And as they bent, I realized that I might actually be able to break the bones. And if I could break them, I might be able to then use the knife, which was too dull to cut through the bones, um, but to use that just on the soft tissues. I, and this smile came over me. I, I was euphoric as I went about first breaking one bone and then contorting my body to break the second bone and then using the knife to cut through the various tissues, including the nerve, uh, which was a thousand times worse than having that boulder crushing my hand. But even as I got through that most intense pain, 
I knew that I was going to get out of there. I, I, I'm going to die at some point, but I'm not going to die here. I'm, I, I'm going to get out of this place. And sure enough, after about an hour and five minutes of, of working through the amputation, I, I was free. Uh, it was the most euphoric uh, ecstasy that I'll probably ever feel in my life. And I gathered myself after a, a few deep breaths <laughs> and, and picked up my rope, picked up my climbing gear, picked up um, my water bottle that now was full of urine. And I took a, a last photograph of this. <laughs> it was a good riddance photograph <laughs> of the hand that nearly trapped, that nearly killed me in the boulder. And, and I started hiking down the canyon. Uh, I, I made it through a few hundred yards of like third and fourth class canyon uh, until I got to a, a rappel that I, I set up and rappelled the 60 foot drop and I got to a pool of water and I drank from that for about 15 minutes and then started hiking uh, I walked for almost seven miles then uh, slowly losing energy as the adrenaline and and just the the effects of all of this sleep deprivation and everything else that had been mounting on me uh, and at the end of uh, uh, of this hike, uh, I was just a, a mile away from my truck, uh, where I had to leave the canyon bottom. Uh, about 800 vertical feet of climbing, and at this moment now, uh, a helicopter came out of the sky that had been searching for me and plucked me out of the canyon, and uh, off we we fly to the hospital. Um, that it was such a, a remarkable synchronicity of, of me getting myself free and out into the open where then I could be found, uh, and that helicopter being there within minutes of when I would have otherwise bled to death, uh, that it, it was, uh, to me, still an astonishing miracle that, that yeah, I, I did what I did, but actually that I survived the effect of it and got to medical attention. Um, putting my life back together after that again is this before and after of uh, everything that had happened leading me up to that that place and then where I would go after that uh, it still stands even now with uh, being married and, uh, and having a little six month old boy Leo uh, that the experience back in Blue John is, is still uh, the defining moment in my life uh, of what came before and what came after Okay, so let me now explain the answers to you. Number one, the week of April the 26th to May the 1st divided his life into two parts. That's true. Uh, number two, the hike he went on was one of the most extreme and dangerous hikes he'd ever done. Um, that's false, because he said it was a fairly low-key hike. Fairly low-key. Uh, low-key means kind of not particularly risky, quite kind of, um, quite easy, um, not a big deal, low key. So he said it was a fairly ho a fairly low key hike. So not one that he expected to be particularly dangerous or risky. Um, number three, um, as he was hiking through the canyon, uh, or as he was hiking above a canyon, he dislodged a boulder and they both fell into the canyon. The boulder landed on his arm and trapped him in the canyon. That's true. Uh, number four, he was about five hours from civilization. It's not true. It's false because he said he was hours from civilization. Hours from civilization. I think he said he was five hours from his uh, truck, but hours from civilization. Um, number five, he hadn't informed anyone of his plan to trek in that area. It's true. 
He was completely uh, alone and nobody knew he was there. Um, number six, he realised almost immediately uh, that he was going to starve to death. Well, that's false because he realised that there were other ways that he, he was going to die. He realised he was going to die, but he didn't realise he was going to starve because he said there are other ways he could die, like infection, dehydration or a flash flood. A flash flood is like um, a very sudden flood which happens in the desert when there's a large amount of rain in a short period of time and it causes large-scale flooding. Um, so number seven, by the fifth day he'd already tried every possible way to escape. That's true. Um, then number eight, by day five he was still not convinced that he was going to die. That's, uh, that's false because he was. He, he was sure that he was going to die. And that's when he started sort of thinking about his life. Uh, number nine, he wasn't able to deal with regrets that he had about his life. Uh, that's false. He actually managed to uh, deal with a lot of these painful memories that he had. Just, um, he kind of made peace with himself, basically. He made peace with himself. That's where you deal with all your regrets until you feel like you're at peace. So he really was ready to, to die. Uh, number 10, he had a dream about himself as a boy and he wanted to go back to apologise to himself. That's false because he had a dream about a boy but it was a vision of his future son. Um, and that was one of the reasons why he kind of decided he, he didn't want to die. Uh, number 11, he got really angry because he felt he'd failed himself. Um, that's false. Um, and as far as I remember... He didn't feel he'd failed himself. He felt he'd failed his future son. Um, number 12, he made a controlled decision to break his bones and cut his arm off. That's not true. It's false. Uh, it, it wasn't a controlled decision. He was in a rage. When you're in a rage, it means you're really, really angry and out of control. So he was in a rage and not controlled. Number 13, he was very happy to cut off his arm despite the pain. That's true. He said he was ecstatic. Um, he said he was really, really, apparently really happy when he managed to cut his arm off. Which, if you think about it, is true because he suddenly got his life back. He was going to die, but then by becoming free, he got his life back again. Um, Number 14, he took a really good quality photo of his hand before he left. This is false. It was a kind of cheap camera, so it wasn't good quality. And he said it was a kind of a good riddance photo. Good riddance. Now, when you say good riddance, it means you've thrown something away, something you didn't want anymore. It's like, oh, thank God we finally got rid of that old sofa. Good riddance. To get rid of something means to throw something away, like rubbish or trash. So a good riddance photo is a photo you take of something when you're finally going to throw it away to get rid of it. So you go, oh, good riddance. Um, so number 15, he fell 60 feet into a pool of water. It's false. He actually rappelled and then found the water. To rappel is American English. In Britain, we'd say to abseil. And it's when you kind of climb down uh, a cliff um, using a rope. So you use a rope to descend uh, a kind of cliff face. Um, so, so he first of all he climbed down the the sixty feet, and then he found the water. Um, number sixteen, he he hiked seven miles, even though he was losing strength all the time. That's true. 
Um, 17, he climbed 800 feet to his truck and then contacted a helicopter to rescue him. That's false, because he, he was one mile away uh, from his truck, but it was an 800-foot climb to get to the, the truck. And then, uh, just by coincidence, a helicopter noticed him. Uh, so it's just a total coincidence that the helicopter found him. He was very lucky. And then number 18, his experience in Blue John Canyon totally changed his life forever. That's true. Okay, so there you go. Um, that's the interview explained. Now I'm going to teach you some super useful, wonderful, natural expressions and idioms all related to the word hand. I thought it would be appropriate considering 127 hours is about a man who loses his hand. I thought then it would be appropriate to do some idioms and expressions all with the word hand uh, in the idiom. And there are loads, loads of expressions that use the word hand. And they're really common actually. Uh, if you think about it, your hand is one of the most common, commonly used parts of your body. We use our hands to do absolutely everything, including kind of communicate with each other, pay money and, and accept money and, and uh, touch things and so on. So, uh, of course, there are lots of expressions which have the word hand uh, as part of them. Um, so here we go. I'm going to teach them to you now. You should try and go away and use them and remember them, and then you'll become an excellent speaker of English. Okay, so it's time for some hand idioms and expressions. And there are so many, there are so many expressions that use the word hand or hands. Um, there are just loads and loads, too many really. So what I'm going to do is pick out the ones that I think are quite good and then uh, read them to you, give you an, uh, an example and a definition of each one. Okay, um, so... Here we go. First one is to be to be good with your hands. For example, um, I'm not surprised he's become an artist. He's always been good with his hands. Or, uh, for example, um, hey John, you're good with your hands. Can you help me put these shelves up? Um, so if someone's good with their hands, it means that they are skillful with uh, practical things. Uh, skillful at doing things with your hands, to be good with your hands. All right. Uh, another one is um, uh, to get your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. And it's like, um, so yeah, he's not frightened of getting his hands dirty. Or, uh, so come and get your hands dirty. To, it means to do some physical work. So if you're, for example, doing some work in the garden, you might say, I need some help. Who wants to come and get their hands dirty? Meaning, who wants to do some physical work? Um, let's see. Hands off. Hands off. Or get your hands off. Or keep your hands off. Hands off. So that's when you're telling someone not to touch something. So you'd say something like, these cakes are for tea, so hands off. Or, um, you know, keep your hands off. Keep your hands off my tools, please. It means don't touch it. Okay? Um, hands up. Um, you might see that in like a gangster movie or something. You say hands up if you're trying to um, like threaten someone with a gun and you want them to put their hands in the air. You'd say hands up. This is a bank robbery, for example. Um, you, you also um, might say hands up uh, if uh, you want people to raise their hand uh, to answer a question 
or raise their hand to volunteer for something. So it'd be something like, right, who wants to go to the zoo? Hands up. And if you want to go to the zoo, you put your hand up. So hands up, who wants to go to the zoo, for example. Um, to have your hands full, it's like, I'm really sorry I can't come over this afternoon. I've really got my hands full with the kids. So if you've got your hands full, it means you're really busy. I've got my hands full looking after the children, so I can't come over to your house. Um, let's see. Um, in, in someone's hands, or in the hands of someone. Um, for example, okay, I'll leave the matter in your hands. Uh, or, the future of industry lies in the hands of the government. So if it's in someone's hands, it means it's in their control basically um, to be in safe good ha uh, to be in safe hands or to be in good hands um, for example when the child is with my mother I know she's in safe hands um, it's a good hospital I'm sure he's in safe hands or I'm gonna leave you in the safe hands of my partner John for example okay and it means to be taken care of by a responsible person or organization and unlikely to be harmed or damaged so I'm going to leave it in safe hands. Or the, when I put my money in the bank, I know that it's in safe hands. Um, there's a saying which is, uh, "Many hands make like many hands make light work. Many hands make light work." And uh, we use that when we want to say that a task is done very well, or ver a task is done easily if a lot of people share the work. So if lots of people share some kind of task you could say many hands make many hands make light work um, let's see um, off someone's hands or on someone's hands right off someone's hands means that it's no longer the responsibility of someone so you might say now that the children are off my hands I've got more time for other things now that the children are off my hands, I've got more time for other things. So now that the children are no longer my responsibility, I've got more time for other things. And then you've got on someone's hands as well. It means that you have to do it or you're responsible for it. I've got a lot of work on my hands at the moment. Or I've got the neighbour's children on my hands this afternoon. Right? Um, let's see. Out of somebody's hands... It's like, I'm sorry, but it, it's out of my hands. And that means uh, that it's no longer the con in control of uh, or the responsibility of someone. So I'm really sorry, but that's out of my hands means I'm really sorry, but there's nothing I can do about that. Um, let's see. Uh, to take something off somebody's hands. To take something off someone, somebody's hands. So that would be... Um, uh, for example, I wish somebody would take this old table off my hands. I haven't got room for it. And that means to take something away from someone who no longer wants it. Right? So, look, you and Tony relax at the weekend, and I'll take the children off your hands for a couple of days. Okay? Um, let's see. Um, okay, you've got, uh, with your bare hands... With your bare hands, um, your bare hands are just your your hands without any gloves on them, for example. So um, it, to to say that you did something with your bare hands would suggest that you'd done it without any kind of weapon or a tool or without any gloves. So you could say that um, he fought the bear 
with his bare hands. That's kind of a bad example because of the word bear. He fought the lion with his bare hands. Or, um, uh, let's see, um, he did something with his bare hands. Yeah, without any anything in his hands. Um, okay, here's some more. Um, so, give him a hand. Give him a big hand, ladies and gentlemen. So, to give someone a hand means to clap for someone. So, it'd be like... Here he is, the world champion of podcasting. It's Luke Thompson. Give him a big hand, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For example, all right, give him a hand. Um, well, you've got to hand it to him. He certainly has produced an excellent podcast. You've got to hand it to him means like you've got to give him some respect. You've got to uh, acknowledge that he did something well. You've got to hand it to him. He did an excellent job. Um, you could say to hand something to someone, to hand something to someone, and it just means to give something to someone or pass something to someone. So, could you hand me those papers, please? Um, okay, then you've got a, um, to hand something out, to hand something out, and that means to give things, like to give like copies of something to lots of people. So, you might say, um, to promote my comedy night, I handed out some flyers in Leicester Square. So to hand out some flyers means to give flyers to all of the people, in this case, in Leicester Square. Um, at the beginning of the lesson, the teacher handed out some worksheets. So to hand out some worksheets there means the teacher gave a worksheet to everyone in the class. He handed out some worksheets. Um, you can also say a handout as a noun. A handout is a, um, something which has been handed out, right? So typically in, a, in an English class, that would be your worksheet. So the teacher gave us a handout. Or can you find the handout which I gave you yesterday? Um, another noun is a hand-me-down. A hand-me-down. A hand-me-down is basically um, an item of clothing which you, you get from someone older, in your family. So, because I've got an older brother who's two years older than me, when I was a child, I used to inherit all of his clothes. So, when he was too big to wear them, I would get them. So, um, they would hand the clothes down to me. So, those clothes were called hand-me-downs, right? You can also hand something down from generation to generation. So, for example, um, let's see, this um, diamond ring has been handed down through the generations, right? Um, okay. Um, handy, as an adjective, handy just means um, useful, right? So you could say, my iPhone is really handy. Or you could say, um, John is really handy because um, he, he can like do lots of different jobs in the house. He's really useful to have around. Um, let's see. Um, on the other hand... On the other hand, um, so that's a way of kind of um, when you're giving your opinion on something, if you want to describe both sides of the argument, we use expressions like, well, on the one hand, um, let's see, kind of what would you be talking about? On the one hand, legalizing soft drugs could, um, on, on the one hand, legalizing soft drugs might make them safer, but on the other hand, it would encourage people to take more and more drugs, and that's probably not very good for society. Okay, uh, so on one hand, on the other hand, um, 
I know it like the back of my hand. I know it like the back of my hand. So if you know something like the back of your hand, it means you know it really, really, really well. The back of your hand is the um, the part of your hand, the, like the other side of your hand, not the side you use, the other side of your hand, not the side you use to hold something, but the other side. And apparently, if you know something like the back of your hand, you know it really well. So you could say, I know London like the back of my hand. I'll show you all the good places to go. Okay, um, that's the back of my hand. Um, obviously, we've got to shake hands. Um, and finally, let's, let's end with this one. Um, holding hands or to walk hand in hand. That's the sort of thing that lovers do, isn't it? Um, you can imagine if you're in a very romantic location, maybe walking down uh, by the river in Paris, uh, you might walk with your girlfriend or boyfriend holding hands, or you'd walk hand in hand. Right, that's it. That's it from this. Um, I, I do hope that you found that useful, and do keep listening to Luke's English Podcast for all your learning English needs. Uh, that's it from me today. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely evening. Have a lovely morning. Have a lovely night. Whatever it is, whatever you're doing. Cheers. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. If you'd like to, you can email me at luketeacher at hotmail.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.